0: Today's scripture text comes from the first book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This is Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, who will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Please be in the spirit of prayer with me. Holy and loving God, we inch forward in complete surrender to you today. Hoping to hear a word for our lives. And so give us open minds and hearts to hear what you would have to say to us. And give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed Courage to change the things which can be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Amen. True story. The book of Acts is no true story. The book of Acts is not a history book. It is not a book of facts. I really hope this is not shattering people's faith today. I hope I don't need to do much convincing on this issue. I say this knowing that many churches have spent a lot of time focusing on how Luke got it all wrong. And I say maybe, maybe not. What seems to be important to ask today is what do we do with these kinds of stories? We believe in evolution. We believe that science is real. And so how do we combine what we know about physics and biology with a faith story about a man that died, was resurrected, and then ascended into the clouds? It's a bit of a hard sell, right? I get it. But instead of throwing out chunks of scripture that are unrealistic or that we don't agree with, I propose that we take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Just like a relationship that we care about, that we are serious about, it's okay to ask the Bible curious questions and lean in further to listen to its history, its purpose and context. For example, we can remember that in the Hebrew Scriptures, Elijah was lifted up to God, which would have been a familiar allusion to an early Jewish Christian community when hearing a story about Jesus being lifted up to God. Jesus' ascension was a literary device for Luke. Taking the Bible seriously, but not literally, means that we look for how the Bible is descriptive for our Christian faith versus prescriptive. The book of Acts, in particular, is descriptive of a man's faith who is describing events that were fulfillments of ancient claims. Therefore, Luke is preaching, not reporting. He is sermonizing, not summarizing. His truth is not rooted in the facts of when or where. His truth is found in what it means to follow Jesus and why it is important. There is more theological poetry in Luke than historical assumptions. And so maybe the book of Acts is the best place to practice suspension of disbelief for a bit, to find that light that is breaking forth from God's holy word. So the book of Acts begins with Jesus appearing for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, Jesus gives the disciples one instruction, just one. Don't leave. Stay. Stay right here in Jerusalem. Wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the disciples awkwardly ask Jesus when the kingdom of Israel will be restored. Sadly, even after the resurrection, his earliest followers of faith are still grasping at political power. They're asking the wrong questions. They still don't get it. God has God's own time for restoration, Jesus says. And he reminds them that the Holy Spirit will give them greater power to become his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then as the words are like still hanging out of his mouth, Jesus is lifted up and taken out of their sight. And what do the disciples do? The disciples, the ones who have witnessed miracles with their own eyes and ate with a resurrected man for 40 days, they're craning their necks with their jaws wide open, hoping for just one more magic trick, Lord. Maybe a cloud spelling out, I love you, sweethearts. Super pathetic, right? I find it interesting that Jesus was lifted up into heaven without pushing a button or doing an incantation, or singing Defying Gravity to make it happen. This isn't an act that Jesus does to himself. Rather, it was something that God did to him and for him. And yet Jesus is not completely passive either. It is a combination of Jesus showing up in the community while also surrendering to God's will. I'm fairly certain this is what Jesus wants from us, too. It is what Jesus was preparing the disciples to do after they were clothed with power from on high. Power. From the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our word for dynamite. Sometimes I have to remind myself that it is the Holy Spirit that gives us explosive and dangerous authority and power to do the will of God. It is not something inside us like super hard willpower. It is something outside of us that works in us in such a way that it transforms us. Jesus reminds the disciples of a promise that God made. And what is this promise? It is that resurrection will never leave us orphaned. We will not be left alone here. As a result of new life, God sent the Advocate in Jesus' place. This promise should fill us today with so much hope that we live as witnesses to this present moment. And yet, it's pretty hard to trust that, isn't it? We don't stay present. We lose heart, we worry, we burn out. We rehash a past of broken promises, actually, of times when we felt abandoned, or isolated, or shamed, and based on those past broken promises, we then rehearse for the future, anticipating possible problems, or safeguarding ourselves, ensuring our spiritual lives, and strategizing our successes. Rehash. Rehearse. Repeat. Well, here's the punchline to this six-week sermon series that we've been doing entitled WTF, What's the Future? When his disciples asked about the schedule of future events, Jesus reminded them, it's not for you to know. So what's the future here at FCC? It's not for us to know. It is none of our business. The future is God's business. Our business is to be here, present, in this moment. Our job is to follow the way of Jesus and appear just like he did. Just like him, we do the work of showing up and sticking it out with one another when things get tough. And, when, and then when we trust, we trust God to do the lifting lifting us of loneliness, lifting of fear, lifting of shame, lifting of our heavy spirits. The implication is that the business of the fledgling church will not be to speculate about the end of God's story. The business of the church is to show up so that the kingdom of God can continue, which is all we can do today anyway, right? Twenty years ago, I traveled with my college choir to Barcelona. And in the evenings, we would perform in some of the most magnificent cathedrals and concert halls. And then during the days, we would visit monuments and art galleries and museums. It was all really new to me, and I was taking it all in. And one day, myself and a few friends walked into a museum that was dedicated to the Spanish painter Salvador Dali. There was so much to absorb in his paintings that I was eager to come back the next day, wanting to learn more. As a young woman who was struggling with her Christian faith, I was enamored with Salvador Dali's stark portrayal of the ascension of Jesus. Salvador Dali had explained that the genesis of this painting came to him one night in a dream, where the nucleus of an atom looking like the center of a sunflower inspired his sense of the unifying spirit of Christ. Combining science, nature, sacred geometry, and the mystical, Dolly's painting challenged me to reach beyond my college-educated, rational brain. I witnessed Dolly's Christ as no peaceful, floating Jesus. Dolly's Christ had powerful, outstretched arms and his hands, look at his hands, expressed more tension than blessing. Perhaps Dolly wanted us to see that this was no cheap, easy resurrection, but a gift offered through cosmic agony. It causes me to wonder still today, if it was painful for Jesus to be lifted up, would he, like us, want just a little bit more time? This painting is such a beautiful companion to today's text because it helps us expand our minds about the humanity and the intimacy of Jesus in in the midst of such a supernatural account. And how can anyone ignore the central focus of Jesus' feet as he rises up or into union with God? It reminds me of the end of Ephesians that says, And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head of all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Those feet that walked the dusty roads of first century Palestine the feet that sunk into the soft mud as his cousin baptized him in the River Jordan, the feet that were dirty and calloused by his travels, these feet, they will never walk the earth again. Perhaps this is why the onlooking woman, the mother of God at the top of the painting, is weeping. The blessed mother remembers How these feet were so lovingly and extravagantly anointed just before the crucifixion. She remembers how the nails went through them. They will no longer carry him to the sites of miracles and healings and meals with sinners. This is the final goodbye. Why are you standing there staring up into heaven? the two men in white robes said to the bamboozled disciples, just stop it, fault-finding angels. Maybe the disciples need a break. Maybe they aren't as pathetic as they look. I mean, just look at those feet. Maybe we ought to savor moments like this too. Not to rush to work, but to... Be present instead, and to remember. Remember all the places he appeared. Remember how he showed up and stayed with all kinds of people, people like us. Remember how he asked us to continue the work of the kingdom. We savor moments like this so that we know how to follow him better, And maybe, maybe every once in a while, we will follow Jesus so nearly that we will find ourselves covered in his dust. We will not know the future, my friends. We will never know. It's been almost 150 years for this particular church and we haven't destroyed it yet. Why? Because we keep showing up for one another, and God keeps lifting us. We are trusted with this little part of the mission of appearing, savoring, and wondering. We continue to do the kingdom work that's right in front of us. But the truth is that we will never quite arrive. The future will always be out of our grasp. And what this means is that we are always in a state of becoming. Becoming. It is slow business. It takes time to become Easter people. You know what else is slow? Caterpillars. Caterpillars are slow as hell. And right when they think they're about to die in the darkness, they come out as beautiful. Those slow little creatures become beautiful, and so do we. So let's give it time. Let's give ourselves time, and may we trust God with the process. May it be so. Amen.